This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Yeah! Podcast is life, podcast is death, but also podcast is podcast, but mostly podcast is life. It's Ted Lasso Podcast on Posture Recaps. You better believe I'm Josh Wiggler. I am joined here by Antonio Mazzaro. Welcome to our Ted Lasso Season 2 talk. It's so nice to be here. I cannot believe we are talking about new episodes of Ted Lasso. It is so frustrating, Josh, that we can't just do what we did earlier in this season of this podcast and cover all of this season at once. I'm looking forward, though, to spending each week with you here at Post Show Recaps talking about these episodes. Oh, yeah. May the force be with you, Antonio. And also with you, Josh, Um, and with your spirit, might might I say. Oh, my God. Uh, So much to talk about as Ted Lasso has returned officially with season two, goodbye, Earl is the season two premiere of Ted Lasso, directed by Declan Lowney, uh, written by Brendan Hunt, aka Coach Beard, gets the honors. They say Antonio that Danny Rojas killed the dog. Uh, <laughs> I think maybe you could assign that to Coach Beard, considering Brendan Hunt wrote the episode. Someone killed a dog yes. uh, in, in, the, in, in the room or on the, on the pitch. Someone killed a dog. And I cannot believe that that is the sentence one minute and 30 seconds into this podcast. Uh, I, I would not have put any money on that. The odds would have been quite long on uh, Ted Lasso season two beginning with the death of a dog. And yet here we are. And yet old, here we are. The old yeller episode. Oh, my God. Right. Spoiler out, alert for old yeller. Right out the gate. Yeah, I love I love imagining like all the people, including ourselves, who like tried to sell people on checking out Ted Lasso if they hadn't done so hard. Yeah, it's, so it's the most positive. It's so positive. It's the most uplifting show. <laughs> I was talking to my mom about it earlier. I was like, <laughs> I was like, Mom, like this isn't one of those shows where you're going to have to put your hands over your eyes. All the shows that I always recommend to you that are so scary, like you're gonna be fine yes um and, and then and then uh goodbye earl <laughs> the, first, uh, the first two minutes of the game and of course we open on an eye and tony we open on an eye because of course we open on an eye uh and we have opened up season two we're gonna be here for 12 weeks uh 12 episodes of ted lasso season two a long journey a long season uh hopefully uh it's not just gonna be ties all along the way because i don't like business casual i prefer to wear my sweatpants to work uh but until they break this tie antonio i'm gonna be buttoned up uh as uh as i'm sure you are as well 
uh, talking about Ted Lasso. Season 2 here on Post Show Recaps Podcasts dropping on Mondays in our Ted Lasso podcast feed, which is now available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe to the Ted Lasso podcast on Post Show Recaps right now, especially your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated as we are hoping to draw more people into our community. We're so excited about this podcast. We think we've got a lot of fun, insightful, ridiculous things to say about the show. We hope that you are uh, going to join us for the ride. So sign up to the feed and be in touch with us on Twitter as well. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. How many Z's? How many R's? Two Z's, one R. Very thankful for everyone who has subscribed, who has shared our links, who has retweeted, posted, all of those things. Early season, especially when people are looking for a podcast to dig into uh, for their new favorite show that they binged over sometime in the last nine months. Uh, this is a great way to have our show pop at the top of the charts, and we really do appreciate that, truly. Uh, it's a very small thing you can do to subscribe, like, share, etc., uh, but it means the world to us, uh, and it really does help expand the conversation, uh, which is, for me, unlike Roy Kent, uh, something that I'm very invested in, because I think this is a show... Um, that is worth the blather. It's worth all the chatter that we can put into it. It's worth the talk. It is interesting, Josh. We talked about this on one of our earlier episodes in this feed, but uh, we usually talk about prestige TV, these one-hour dramas, uh, ones that have a lot of meat on the bones in terms of speculation of story and things like that. But uh, I think Ted Lasso is just as deserving in many respects, and in, in, in some ways even more. Uh, but it will be very interesting to unpack it real time with you, as we will do throughout this season, uh, to, to kind of think where we might be going with this season, uh, what seeds are being planted. I think a lot of them were planted in this episode. Uh, there were a lot of moving of chess pieces around on the board, like we like to see in TV shows, setting up things for the season. So I definitely want to talk about some of the things that jumped out to me in that regard, and I want to hear from you some of the things that jumped out to you in that way as well. All right. Well, let's waste no time. Let's hop right into it. I, th- I think let's just start with kind of like broad view, top down, um, this being the first top down, this being the first uh, <laughs> episode that we get of, of season two. We're starting mid-season, right? Seven ties so far, I believe. Yes. Uh, they've, they've drawn their last six games. We see the seventh draw, uh, as AFC Richmond, uh, fighting through. Uh, do we call this still they're in relegation? Is that still what's going on? Or they were they, relegated? They were relegated. The yes. act of relegation yes. is the act of them being demoted. The relegation the has occurred. Yes. The relegation has occurred. They are now in what is called, and they make a joke about this in the first season, the second division of English football is called the championship. Uh, it, it is the, the championship is the second division of, uh, the English football pyramid. The third division is called League One, uh, which is hilarious because it's the third division, uh, and then on down the pyramid. So, uh, they are in the second division of English football, the second tier, which in and of itself is still, uh, a very competitive, uh, very difficult league as we talked about previously. Uh, so it's not, it's no surprise that Richmond having dropped from the Premier League would, be in kind of the position they're in. Their form is a little bit dodgy, and they're going to have to make up for uh, something. And that's that's the team we find ourselves cast into. Were you satisfied with a time jump, or would you have preferred to see this kick off from the beginning of the season? No, I'm not mad at it. I think, like, you know, if, if there are things that I'm bummed about, like, I would have loved to have seen Roy Kent's legendary retirement speech somehow. Oh, we're going to see it. Somehow we're I, see it. Somehow I feel like we won't be deprived yes. of that. Yes. So, yeah, like, the gun's going to go off before the third act, I would say. You know, I think that that 
that's fine. I think like, um, you know, one of the things that's like very clear about this episode is the character dynamics, which were already like deeply earned across those first 10 episodes of Ted Lasso are just all that more established here uh, in the season two premiere. Um, you know, the aforementioned may the force be with you and also with you moment uh, between Ted and Higgins just I think like speaks to just like the very easy friendship that they really have now at this point. The fact that that happens in Rebecca's office in full view of Rebecca without her batting an eye and in fact just being like locked into her phone with Keely as she and Keely are like talking about setting up a double date with John Wings Knight, who I thought was John Wayne's Knight, uh, who would be a very different guy. Uh, You know, there's just like a lot of like clear built in chemistry between the characters right now that I think I'm grateful for so that we can get to wherever these relationships need to go next. Um, I don't think I needed to pick up immediately after um, the season one finale. I think it is useful that we are where we are at this point. Like Nate, who has just been elevated to being um, part of the coaching staff, like to have him a little bit more confident to the point of being kind of a dick to the, to his replacement. Like, I think that's useful. I think that's helpful. Um, I think, um, you know, cutting through a little bit of the, like Ted can like, I can't believe you've like stayed on the team, like whatever kind of like, um, you know, backlash could have existed within the community, though. I think it probably would have been very light. It seems like he's won everybody over. Like, Let's move past that. Let's get into what matters. I'm really good with the time jump. How about yourself? Definitely. For all the reasons that you said, it's always brave when a show or uh, any kind of product, a film especially, uh, there's a lot less real estate there. So it's always super brave uh, when we see a a massive time jump. And it can lead to a lot of interesting dramatic propositions, uh, things that you're talking about, the ways characters have changed in subtle ways. Uh, The Nate thing, for example, Nate always had that in him that was a, a running joke throughout sure. the first season but it was he was scared of it yeah, you know the, that the burn letter that he read for exactly, everybody yeah. yes yes the, say he, it he, to he, my the, face the, nate yeah the library was open for nate yeah there was a reading that was occurring uh and so that was uh that was always in him but he was a little scared of it he doesn't seem to be scared of it anymore it seems to be his default and of course, this is something that's going to be dealt with throughout the course of the season. We wouldn't be introducing it the way in which we did in this episode were it not. So it is, uh, it's always good, uh, to see that they had a plan. They move things ahead and they will deliver along the ways of that plan. It does feel like we're missing a little bit of the emotional fallout from everything. I know you're saying, you know, Ted's just good with everybody. Rebecca's just in her phone. Um, I think what we're dealing with though isn't that we're going to have moved on from that. And we won't have to deal with it. I think what we're going to see, and this, especially with the Roy Kent of it all, is I think we're just far enough ahead. Maybe it's a few months, I think, just the way it would time out with having played seven matches and uh, knowing the way uh, the, the soccer or the football schedule works. Uh, it's probably, you know, five months in the future, maybe somewhere in that, in that realm uh, from the last season. So, I think we're going to de- we're, we're meeting these characters five months later, and they probably haven't processed everything and how they're going to process what was what happened in that five months and what happened at the end of last season and what happens to them as a result of the things they're doing now, having not fully processed that stuff. That will be the thrust of this season. So I'm fine with it. Uh, it will be interesting. You know, they could have skipped just a few months and started the first season. It will be interesting as we go further into Ted Lasso, into season three, uh, perhaps beyond if they change their plan. Um, will they always do a time jump? Will they just sometimes skip the summer? Are there other things they can do? Uh, so 
I, I think it was it, it gives them a lot of opportunity. I do think some people were a little taken aback by some of the seeming changes, especially like with Nate. Um, but I think it's all in service of what we're going to do over the course of this season. Uh, but mainly, I think the emotional baggage that Ted especially is carrying around um, is really interesting to see in in action here. It's it's more subtle, obviously, in terms of how he pushes back against the therapy, especially. Um, but that's the sort of thing that we just feel like we yada yada and skipped over. And obviously, it's just under the surface. It's not something that was fully processed. We didn't just turn the page and these characters are better and reset. Um, They have been changed by what happened in season one. uh, And they've been changed by what happened in the months previous to when we started the series. I think we're going to see how those changes uh, play out over the course of the series. So I, too, am okay with it. Uh, I'm excited. I'm definitely excited. Let me ask you this, though. Um, So I think one of the things about the pilot of the show is it really just very cleanly and clearly announces the premise of the series and the intentions of the series. And it's, you know, throwing you in to Ted as a character uh, and his very unusual circumstances and the uphill battle he and Coach Beard have to win over uh, the the people surrounding AFC Richmond, both in the club and outside of it. Um, and I And I feel like it just, it launches you into a story arc in like a very deliberate way, in a way that like you're just in the car with them, uh, in the, in the in in like Nate's tiny car uh, alongside uh, alongside Lasso and Beard. Do you feel that uh, same energy in season two? Because I don't I don't know that I feel it in that same way. I think like you're saying, I think there's a lot of subtle work that's going on here. There are ways in which Antonio, I felt like this episode. Felt almost more standard sitcommy than we've gotten from Ted Lasso in the past. I don't know if I'm on an on an island with 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 that feeling, um, but I'd be curious to know. Like, do you feel like this episode gave us like a thesis statement for what the season is going to be about? I think the pilot did that so clearly. Did the season two premiere do that as clearly, or are we saying that the pilot did it so clearly because we have the benefit of having watched the entire season and now we have to wait uh, eleven weeks to figure out how season two is going to go? I think it's a little bit of that. I think it's a little bit that the premise of season one was a lot easier. It's a lot not not as messy. It was a very simple fish out of water story and the explanation about why the fish chose to leave the water uh, and what the water really was. Uh, this is water like th- that all was, I think, a lot cleaner than where we are now, which is that, OK, the fish has adjusted a little bit to the new surroundings. Uh, but let's talk about how the surroundings have changed the fish or how the fish needs to change in order to continue to swim in this water. Uh, and I, I think that is a lot more uh, complicated of a premise or of something they're going to deal with in this season than they had to deal with in setting up the pilot. Um, the pilot is a proof of concept in many respects. Uh, the idea, of course, of this Ted Lasso character, when it was originally conceived in the ads, um, it was a little more straightforward, a little more just obviously kind of a boorish, uh, brash, um, inconsiderate American uh, coming to another country and coming to another country's beloved game and just being American about it. Um, this show, I think, has a lot more to say about uh, the view of Americans in the world. Uh, and Ted Lasso is sort of our last clear chance or maybe our best uh, our best people that we're sending out there. But I think it would be foolish as we enter a second season of Ted Lasso, and especially as we enter a third season of Ted Lasso, to look at Ted Lasso as this perfect example of how you can just be so perfect and so positive and everything will work out for you. Because the reality of the world, of course, is yes, 
We need to be positive. Yes, we need to pursue all the things Ted Lasso does. And yes, we need to engage in the way Ted Lasso does. But it's not always going to work. And we need to have something else to fall back on so that doesn't come crashing down on us like a house of cards. And I do think that's a different show, by the way. Yes. I do think that, uh, which. Although it also begins with the death of a dog, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> At least one of the seasons does. Yes, I believe that is true. Uh, Let's so have that be the last there. time we talk about House of Cards. Let it not be the last time we talk about the death of a dog, though. <laughs> oh my because god! Because I definitely yes. want to continue to revisit that. Yes. Uh, listen, they killed a cat in season one, like on, on, on off screen. Off by screen, the way. though. I mean, and technically, yeah. this was off screen, but yeah, exactly. It was not off screen though, because we heard the noise. Yes. Uh, but but generally speaking, I think when you're talking about Ted Lasso, I think the mission statement of this season becomes a little more clear when you think about, okay, things didn't work out for Ted. Like his positivity and his never say die attitude, they died. Like they got relegated and they did not achieve the goal that they set out to achieve. And it, the, the the great irony, of course, is that they did so because Ted got through to Jamie Tart, because he made the extra pass, because that actually worked and Ted's positivity did work. Uh, it worked against him. Uh, and maybe that's the same thing to be said about Ted's marriage, or there's things that aren't savable with this attitude. And so I like that we put that sort of at center stage with regard to everything that's happening with Danny Rojas, uh, everything that's happening with new characters like Sharon Fieldstone. Uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Sharon Fieldstone, not Doc. Yeah, please. Um, Everything that's coming into play there, I think, really sets up the season uh, to show that Ted Lasso, it, it isn't just that you can be positive all the time. You have to be sturdy. You have to have a foundation uh, that allows that positivity to shine and does not allow you to let the wind be taken out of those sails. You have to be willing to uh, respond to adversity or able to respond to adversity. And what do you do when you're a positive person and the adversity you get is such that your positivity is truly challenged? I think that's why it had to be a dog. That's why it had to be something so outrageous at the beginning of this season, uh, because it is the like the inversal uh, universal force, right? It is the equal and opposite reaction to Ted Lasso, the character. Uh, this is the sort of thing that even Ted Lasso cannot overcome. Even Ted Lasso cannot undo. Like, this is a horrible, horrible thing that happens, and it has to be so horrible uh, to place it in a position where Ted's Ted does not work. And so I think that is an interesting thing that we really introduce in this episode. I didn't love the first maybe 15 or 20 minutes as much as I did the second half of the episode, yep. which I thought really started to deliver on that front. Uh, and I'm, that's what I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about the second half of this episode and what it says about the season. So we can definitely talk about everything that was set up, but I do think that this episode, uh, we will look back on this and say, okay, the themes of this the season were pretty here, clear here. This, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do know that like, uh, there, there definitely, uh, has been like, um, you know, feedback of like, I loved the episode certain things I didn't care for. Uh, I want to give some voice to some of that. Of course, you can always send us feedback, Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com. You can also interact with us in our Ted Lasso channel in the Post Show Recaps patron discord, a really fun community there, patreon.com slash postshowrecaps if you are so inclined. Uh, and this came our way from Grace. Uh, Grace had said, I really loved the episode, but really hated the opening scene. The whole dog stuff felt really cheesy and not really the tone of the rest of the show. Danny could have easily missed the shot on his own and go through the same sort of story arc um and i i think to to your point to like why does the show need to go here i think it is it is a, a really compelling idea that like something as traumatic as this 
you know, something as as dark as this, like the 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 death of man's best friend, um, in such like a senseless way, in such a like um, it's a freak accident kind of a way, like. Ted Lasso's positivity alone is not going to be able to conquer that. And I think, right, or Danny Rojas's, right? Exactly. Yeah, for this to happen to, like, the most positive person on the show, second to, and perhaps even beyond Ted Lasso himself and Danny Rojas, is not accidental. Uh, and I think to have that, uh, that like, I think... Um, that energy colliding with such a dark event from football is life to football is death, I think is, is necessary. Uh, if not, if not necessary in this specific way, I think it certainly works to get us to the introduction of the biggest new character of the season, who I, who I'd love to talk about now, both on her own and then in connection to the greater Ted story, which is Dr. Sharon Fieldstone played by Sarah Niles. Um, you need to bring in somebody who can really get under the hood in like a deeply trained professional way. Um, and now we're introducing this tension between, um, you know, Ted Lasso positivity versus, uh, the, you know, the, the modern medical practice of, of sports psychology. Um, are you, are you, were you enjoying this storyline? Are you, are you curious to see where it goes? Like, what were some of your takes on um, bringing in Dr. Fieldstone as a character and where this may be going, both for the show, but specifically for Ted Lasso, who seems to be, I don't know, maybe surprisingly to me, like kind of anti-therapy? Well, as far as uh, where we're going, I really hope that Dr. Fieldstone, I believe that Dr. Fieldstone will keep Higgins' office the entire season. <laughs> and the idea that, that Higgins so will be great. sat at that tiny desk all season yeah. is is giving me life. Uh-huh. That is uh, so funny. <laughs> yes. Such a funny sight gag. I laughed so hard I agree. at Jeremy Swift knocking the pens over. And just the, uh, the way he's hunched over that little desk and he still decides to put a flower on. So funny. So I love that. And I hope that that means that Dr. Fieldstone is around the whole season. But that's not the real reason I hope that Dr. Fieldstone is around the whole season. I think it's an interesting character. It is an understated performance by Sarah Niles. It does seem like a little bit of a closed book. She does not seem to buy in to Ted's uh, Ted. She doesn't seem to buy the the charm offensive that Ted likes to put on. Uh, and he seems to be very uncomfortable with it. We understand why. Of course, it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, I know you said it seems like odd that Ted would be so anti-therapy, but this is the way I'm saying, like, I feel like season two is still dealing with and and the pilot introducing, or I shouldn't say the pilot, but the premiere episode here introducing some of these things that I think are going to be threads that get on, that get picked at throughout the season. One of them being like, Ted didn't just like take a text message of the divorce paper, send them along. I have a one night stand with sassy and then be done with it. Right. He's still carrying around everything the fear, the feeling of failure from his divorce, um, the the defensive mechanisms that he developed toward therapy or toward people like that. Um, it also, not for nothing, like the 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 comfort level. Like Ted loves nothing more than helping these young men become better people, right? And this feels like a massive failure on Ted's part. That not only are they drawing all the time, but whatever he's done psychologically to them causes them to need special help beyond him. Someone that's brought in from the outside, not lost on me that Ted and his whole team were brought in from the outside. Uh, Ted and Beard, I guess is Ted's whole team. Yes. Uh, but they were brought in from the outside, but Ted is vehemently against this uh, when it comes to bringing someone in. And yes, it's the therapy part, but I think it also speaks to like 
Ted going to look at him? How much is Ted going to look at himself as a failure? They got relegated. His model didn't work. And now the thing he normally hangs his hat on, which is his ability to help these young men uh, become better people. It is to um, him under threat. Yep. It's not only under threat, but it's like proven that these guys need something else, need someone else. Like Ted can't be what Ted needs to be on the field from a effective coach winning game standpoint. He also can't can't be what he needs to be off the field as a man manager, as somebody who is like responsible for uh, the attitudes of this team. I, I think it's coming at him from all sides. It, it triggers him. It speaks to his feelings about failure, uh, the, the very high profile failure that we saw from season one. So I really like that. I know that the storyline, I mean, I don't know, but I could tell you in my bones that he's going to end up in that office. Oh, yeah, uh, of course. Talking to Dr. Fieldstone. I, there, it wouldn't shock me if Roy Kent ends up in that office yes. at some point talking to Dr. Fieldstone. We haven't seen inside the office yet. We had a very Godfather 1, Michael and Kay moment there uh, where Dr. Fieldstone shuts the door right, right. in Ted's face. Yes. Uh, but we're going to get inside that office. Uh, we're going to get in there and see some of these sessions happening. But they're going to be with our characters. Um, there may be all of them, but I definitely think Ted and probably Roy will end up there. So I'm very much looking forward to that as well. Yeah, I, you know, it it uh, it occurred to me in rewatching the episode today before we came on, um, you know, one of our first big Ted Lasso moments of the season is the press conference and uh, uh, Trent Crim, the independent, uh, standing up and everyone just going, Trent Crim, the independent. Uh, which that. Did not love that, by the way. It definitely felt like the show kind of winking at itself and, you know, uh, like getting into the like, okay, everybody has seen the show at this point. Let's like sing the song along with everybody in the crowd, um, whether that's your jam or not, like, you know, uh, taste dependent. But I think what it, what it leads to is Ted's story about um, about the dog that bit him when he was a kid who went on to become the dog he took care of in uh, in in its twilight years, right? Name was uh, Hank. Uh, when when Hank was uh, you know was was basically um, you know he was he was uh, alone with with the man who became a, a widow a widower, and then he needed to go away, and so Ted, who had been taking care of the dog already, then takes the dog on full time. He goes away a year later. They have to put him down. Uh, and Ted says the line. I don't have the exact quote, but it's like it's amazing how um, something can make you cry just because it existed in the same way that it makes you cry because it's gone. Like that to me was like Ted's talking about his marriage. You know, yes. like that is yep. that is not done for him. That is not done as a story this season. Um, obviously, like his family is a huge part of his life and therefore his character and his his character's journey. But it wasn't lost on me either that in this very episode, right away in season two, if not like right, right away, but here in the very start of season two, he's getting text messages from his from his wife with uh, you know a picture of uh, all these ties that his kid thought was a really funny joke because of all of the ties so that that thread is still there it is definitely very unresolved um, and I think that that is the kind of stuff that probably will come up with with dr Fieldstone um, may come up based on some other storylines that may uh, rear their head I think. This season, which I think we could talk about in a little while when we start talking about a different character, perhaps. Um, I like Sharon Fieldstone, Dr. Fieldstone. I think that she's a cool character. I like that she's not buying into the Diamond Dog nonsense right away. Um, why should she? You know, she's a professional and she's walking into this room as everyone's just like dancing around. So nice to meet you. Like this whole thing. Like, 
this is a very strange thing to walk into. Uh, and Definitely. I, and like, I, I do not blame her at all for not biting at this, especially from like a losing team, you know, like, wow, I'm surrounded by nincompoops. Like we have right. to, we have to earn this. And I think that, I think that we likely will. Like, I think that we likely will, but also we know very little about her beyond the effectiveness of her work. As she says to Ted, do you think you're good at what you do? I believe you. I'm twice as good. Uh, and that she's able to like, fix Danny after one conversation or at least get him um in uh in enough of a shape that he can make the am I gonna say this right the corner kick? Did you yeah, that? that was a corner yes. kick. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Oh my God. The corner kick. I have a lot of questions about how that works. Uh just uh in terms of physics. But anyway, we could uh that's that's for uh we could do that offline. Um that like she like demonstrates that and she like watches it happen and she walks away. We don't we don't know anything beyond that. Like Coach Beard says she seems nice. She might be incredible. Uh, you know, Rebecca didn't seem especially nice, and now, like, she is deeply loved within the Richmond, uh, community at this point, and certainly by many people in the Ted Lasso audience. So I think like, it's a give it time kind of thing. And also, I'm really curious to know what are Dr. Fieldstone's experiences? What, you know, what has her life looked like living in the world of sports psychology, working at a highly professional level? Who has she encountered? What might be triggering about Ted and the Diamond Dogs in her life? And what are the things that may spring out from that? I'm really curious to know. Yeah, I mean, she's a woman of color, not for nothing, yep. like in, placed into a locker room and put into situations with these very high caliber and also high strung athletes and clearly very good at her job. So she's no doubt experienced a ton. She's probably experienced a ton of pushback, uh, a lot of difficulty. I mean, we'd be wrong to see this through an American lens, but we'd also be wrong to deny that that lens is not appropriate to use with regard to the treatment of people like Dr. Fieldstone, uh, women in positions of power, women of color mm -hmm. in positions of power. This is not a unique to America problem. Uh, Britain has terrible problems with racism, uh, and they are seeing a lot of the same problems that we are. So it would be foolish to think that this person in this profession, in the achievements that she's had, would not have faced a ton a ton of pushback and a ton of negative energy her way. So it is in no way surprising that Ted's goofiness, uh, knowing, you know, not knowing Ted from Adam, uh, it takes a while. It takes a while with everybody, quite frankly. Like, it is not something where Ted immediately won over all of AFC Richmond. Uh, he won over Higgins earlier than he won over Rebecca, but Rebecca was dealing with a lot more. Uh, and so, again, that's a plot line with Ted and Rebecca in season one. And everything Rebecca was dealing with and what it took for Ted to win her over. Um, we have already tread on those boards, so it wouldn't be shocked. It wouldn't shock me, I should say, to see us tread on them again with regard to the relationship between Ted and Dr. Fieldstone. So I am definitely looking forward to it. There are only so many things. I mean, the show, the show plays a little fast and loose and not in a way that I'm criticizing the show. But it, it should be acknowledged that everything that happens in this show is not a direct one to one uh, with the real life realities of the sport of the people in the sport. Uh, for example, the backroom staff would be a lot bigger, uh, even at a club that had been relegated. Um, the first team and the number of players that would be around would be a lot bigger. Uh, the, the games probably would not still be televised. As Higgins said, like this game is not televised, and yet we had commentators in the gantry, the same ones that were on the uh, season, season one, when they were doing the Premier League. The guy who was the voice of the Premier League on NBC, Arlo White. Um, so a lot of this stuff just logically doesn't really add up, and I think we should yada yada it away but when it comes to like an emotional beat like this 
like what a character like Dr. Fieldstone would have seen and experienced. I do think that the show um, doesn't yada yada or wave a hand over those sorts of things. And I think it will be very interesting to see how she and Ted get on yeah. uh, over the course of the season. Uh, is there anything you want to uh, get into further with Danny Rojas and that's, I mean, the, everything that happens with, uh, with Earl, the, the Greyhound and, and Danny, I feel like we've touched on a lot of it. We probably have not done enough justice to the dream sequence uh, and how <laughs> he, uh, he kicks the cartoon dog. and is just like splashed in comical amounts of blood uh, and then wakes up to football as death as he is surrounded by women. Um, a lot. I wanna, let me stop down on two things there. Yeah. One, I laughed so hard. Yeah. Speaking of Arlo White at his line read of "Ooh, gamesmanship from the keeper." Yeah, like when the dog, the cartoon dog, is clapping his paws together. Yes, laughed so hard at that <laughs> line read. Uh, the football is death thing. I mean, look, you acknowledge that Danny is uh, sitting there next to a couple of women. Do you think that that is meant to be a character note like Danny Rojas is in a dark place? He's waking up in a pile of bodies. Maybe he got a little too drunk. Like, or is this just a normal night for Danny Rojas? <laughs> I, I suspect it's a normal night for Danny. Uh, I think so too, unfortunately. Uh, or fortunately, I guess is the case. I maybe. suspect it's a normal night for Danny. Um, uh, Danny Rojas, much like quiz kid Donnie Smith from Magnolia, has a lot of love to give uh is uh is is the takeaway there uh oh, there we are for magnolia for me to just bring magnolia into the conversation yes. uh via the william h macy character um i uh i i suspect that this is this is what danny's uh nights are like and i also suspect it's it's likely um that we won't get too much further elaboration on it in the same way that there's so much that's suggested about coach beard as opposed to canonized about coach beard are we going to see Coach Beard with Doctor Fieldstone, and what <laughs> what what madness could possibly erupt from that? I hope not. I think I think Coach Beard is uh, is uh, you can help me with the metaphor, Antonio. Uh, I'll I'll like start it. It's like one of those spices that you don't want to put too much of, you know, in in the in the soup, but needs to be in there, otherwise it doesn't taste right. But if you put too much in there, it's going to be overpowering. So like if we get like too psychologically deep on coach beard i think we're in trouble uh so much of the success of that character i think is like the way in which you are able to like uh you know craft fan fiction around the legend of coach beard which i know is something that brendan hunt has talked about is he like paprika is that is that a maybe thing? uh certainly the way that uh that vision the, the makes color it, the color is what uh, i was drawn for, to yeah. for paprikash uh yes. it's over like overdoes it <laughs> Uh, the, so I, I, I think so too. It would be very interesting to see. I mean, we've seen the, the dark beard at some points, black beard, if you will, like the pirate, we've seen some of that uh, emerge, uh, from coach beard in the, in the, in the fringes, like you've said, being paid to bite, uh, just the way he goes overboard in his relationships. We certainly have a hint about it here with the multiple dancers he's dated since the last dancer he would ever date. So I don't want to break coach beard, but I think it would be interesting to see a coach beard that that changes somehow uh, or is in a, is in a trance or a fugue state coach beard. I think we could, I think we could do something fun with coach beard in the therapy without unpacking coach beard and really trying to solve coach beard. I think the therapy could make him a, like a really talkative guy, for example, 
uh, or or change his cadence for a brief moment because uh, that's a that's a Coach Beard thing. Great nod, by the way, to this when he's ranting about there being no Harpo emoji. Like, of course, Coach Beard funny. is a Harpo guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's talking about the Groucho, which we call that the Wario emoji. Yes. Uh, I I love I I love the idea of Coach Beard. Um, going to see Dr. Fieldstone throughout the season and not, us not knowing it until a clutch moment. Uh, something has changed. We didn't realize it. Yeah. And he's been like, he's been going to Dr. Fieldstone, something like that. I think could be, could be pretty fun. Um, I think before we, we, we move on, there's a lot to cover still with a lot of different characters and their storylines and just like sort of like planting flags as we love to do, uh, with all these people at the start of their season two stories. But before we like get out of the, out of the diamond dogs entirely, um, we open on an eye because of course we open on an eye and it happens to be Nate, uh, is where the season starts. Um, did you have any thoughts on like, why is that the character to begin with? Uh, what, what stood out to you that like, we we do have this shot that opens up the season where like uh we're hearing the color commentary on the game and then we open up on Nate's eye and like zoom out from there. Is that is that leading us somewhere? Obviously it is, right? Like where could it possibly be taking us? If you talk about where could it possibly take us, I think that might be a different conversation than where it might or where we think, because of course in season one we have this example. We don't directly open on Rebecca's face in season one. We open on the God Save the Queen Sex Pistols uh, shots of training, uh, and then that sort of breaks down, as we talked about in our last podcast. And then we're framed on Rebecca's extremely expressive and emotive face. Uh, Hannah Waddingham does, does such good face acting, and they let so much play out uh, with her reactions and emotions in season one. Uh, so it makes sense to center season one around that. And then we end season one on her face as well, right? With... Uh, the bubble sneaking back up on Ted and we had the emotional moment. Ted finally drops that hard F bomb, uh, shows us a little bit of more of a different side of himself. And then the water gets spit and sort of breaks that moment, uh, and is a very funny note to end the season uh, on Rebecca's face, but it is her face that we've framed beginning and end. Uh, so at the, at a minimum, we could end the season on Nate's face. That said, I don't see a version of this series, uh, where Nate in his story is as prominent as Rebecca's was, in season one, so it doesn't feel like a one-to-one, uh, but I think it's very interesting that we open on Nate's face as opposed to someone else's. Uh, could have been Rebecca watching from the crowd. It could have been Ted. It could have literally been anyone else. It could have been Danny Rojas. Uh, it could have been the goalkeeper. It could have been the dog, and yet they chose Nate, and I got to imagine that they chose that for a reason. Why we did, though, I... I can't really say. Clearly, there's some growth yeah, to go for Nate in this I, season, but I wonder. Um, and like there, there are certainly like some popular TV, like relatively recent popular TV examples. And by relatively recent, I'm talking about shows that have ended years and years ago. So it's actually not that relatively recent. And I'm just an old now. Uh, but certainly my favorite show, Lost. Uh, I'm also thinking Parks and Rec. I've got a couple of spoiler examples to toss out on both of those. Uh, but, uh, I, I will stop short of just like saying the specific characters other than like unlikely people ending in positions of power. Uh, in, in both of those, like, you know, like the Gary storyline, <laughs> like I'm just thinking, is, is there a world where Ted Lasso, uh, is building towards, uh, head coach Nate? Like, could that be end game material? It's possible. Like, and if so, this is a, this is, if so, what I would say is that was probably not something they had planned during when they broke season one. 
and they were planning out how to write season one. They probably did have some larger arcs for the three seasons plotted out over the course of their, their process of breaking season one. But if so, it feels like, and there are these moments, uh, and it, it happens a lot in TV shows where you go from season to season and that all of a sudden when a new season starts, you see them really center storylines that when you look back, you realize, oh, this was seeded so much at the beginning of this second season when they had time to sit down and think about where they wanted to go. They go really hard back in, in a certain direction. It happens very prominently on Better Call Saul at the beginning of Better Call Saul season two, where they end season one and what they put at the center of the beginning of season two relationship wise with Jimmy McGill, especially becomes such a key element of the show going forward when it was only like danced around a little bit in the first season, it becomes the center of the show in the second. And I'm not saying Nate will become the second, uh, the center of the show, but it could easily see, you could easily see a world where they had not planned out exactly how that was all going to play out uh, over the course of the three seasons. And then as they were sitting down to break season two and talking about those arcs as we're approaching season three and the end of the show, this may be something they put on the table and they're going to set up by beginning in the way that they began. So that would be something that could be possible. And I think that you could imagine a world where they sat down to break this season and they started thinking about Endgame. And then when they thought about Endgame, they thought, Let's do this. Yeah. Like this seems right. Like this seems like a good a good shout. So, um, football is very complicated, uh, and you can't just coach a football team. Uh, this is something where there are a lot of a uh, lot of fast and loose things happening with the the coaching. You have to earn badges. You have to earn licenses and certifications, uh, and that's a process that a lot of ex players go through while they're playing. Uh, is to to begin the certification process so that when they're finished playing, they can begin coaching right away. Um, I'm not sure where Nate stands with that. I'm not sure that the show cares about that. And it could just be uh, that we see a Nate who grows and doesn't grow to that role, but we could easily end up there for sure. Um, can I ask you quickly about the the football as depicted in this episode? Because I know that this is a thing you've criticized. Certainly in our conversations, we've talked about it very lightly on the two podcasts we've done prior to this one of like sometimes the show just like doesn't get this quite right and also maybe looks a little clunky. Did I... Was it me? I felt like an uptick in the production value for this stuff in that opening scene. Did you feel the same way or were you still kind of just like, I got to get over this because it's just not right? couple things. First of all, anytime it's Cristo Fernandez, Danny Rojas, that's doing the footballing, it looks better because Cristo Fernandez was an ex-professional footballer. Cool. Like he was on that path. I don't know when he stopped, but I do believe even to the time he was like in his teens, maybe even to late teens, um, he was in the developmental system in Mexico. So he has legitimate football skill. So it's funny you said, of course, it had to be Danny Rojas killing the dog. I think a lot of times that the football is happening with Danny Rojas, it's because they know when they shoot it with Cristo Fernandez, it's going to look good. Uh, he's actually going to be able to kick it and you can see his face and you can see his body and you can see the actor doing the thing that you don't normally see happening when you have a sports movie or a sports show unless you cast that type of person. My guess is, as they filled out the rest of the, the cast and as they're adding new people, that is something they can take into account if they so choose. Uh, it happened on the Disney Mighty Ducks reboot this time around. There were a lot of people. I'm like, man, these kids all know how to skate. Then I thought to myself, of fucking course they know how to skate. Mm -hmm. It's Disney. Yeah. Like, 
Disney went around the entire world and found the 10 unicorns to put in the show. Like, of course, <laughs> yeah. they know how to skate. Like, Ted Lasso can do the same thing with regard to football. So that's part of it. Um, the, the part where it looks, it doesn't look as good is, is really where they show, like, the, the movement on the pitch and they don't have the same cameras that are being on, used on television or that you would necessarily have the perspective if you're seeing it in real life, it's shot from a cinematic angle. So it's always going to look a little different than you expect it to. Uh, I thought it looked good. I had no complaints about the footballing uh, quality. And the only times I really have in the past is just the speed of the game. It just in, in person and in, in person, especially, but certainly on TV as well. It just looks so much faster than it looked on uh, the first season. Uh, and the ball, especially at the Premier League, it just there's so much more a zip on the ball. It's moved around so much differently. I think the show does a pretty good job of keeping a little bit on the back burner and not going too hard into that. I will be very interested to see with a second season um, how that may have changed. It looked good in, in this episode for sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk about somebody who is no longer on the pitch. Let's talk Roy Kent. Uh, and so Roy Kent has retired. Uh, we got we have that answer now. Like it definitely felt like a send off of sorts um, at the end of season one. And we had some questions about like, um, like after relegation, is he going to actually still be valuable to the team? Or at least I had that question. You were kind of like, no, probably not. Uh, and so like now we get to see like, what does Roy Kent look like? After AFC Richmond, after his uh, his time as uh, as a professional uh, soccer player, and now he is he's coaching Phoebe's team, uh, which is amazing. He and Keeley are not only still together, but like really together and seem to be working really, really well together. He's still seeing the yoga moms. He's watching reality TV. He's seeing Jamie Tart on Love Island, which I want to talk about in a, in a bigger way in a little while after we're done talking about Roy specifically. Um, he's going to have this really big hearted speech to Rebecca about like, don't settle for fine. Like you, you deserve somebody who's going to make you feel like you've been struck by lightning. Um, so there's a lot going on with with Roy emotionally, and they're still figuring out how to like have him on the show. And it feels like they've they've succeeded in that effort. But then there are like these possible like career path questions, right, Antonio? Like um, he's he's certainly welcome to come back. Uh, he seems to not be wanting to come and watch Richmond play. I'm sure it's very triggering for him. Does that wind him in? Uh, you know, does that have him wind up in Doctor Fieldstone's office at some point in time? Does it get him into a coaching position? He is a he is a coach now of sorts. Um, is certainly a question that's on uh on the on the table. And then there's also this like sportscaster possibility 
which seems more interesting to me um, than maybe it would have uh, without this ending. And by interesting, I mean like more more plausible. Uh, if like the Jamie Tart and Roy Kent rivalry is to continue, if Jamie Tart is going to like defile himself by going on like trashy reality TV, and Roy Kent can go on TV and be a professional, um, you know, I, I think that that is set up really pretty well. Lots of w- words too about Roy Kent. I'd love to get yours in terms of your favorite character, Brett Goldstein's uh, arrival in season two, and where you think this is going so far, and what you liked about him in this first one. Truly so much to say about Roy Kent. I, I just, I, I, I love the sensitivity of Roy Kent. And that was something we talked about with regard to why Roy really hit so well in season one, why Roy and Keeley bonded and what uh, enabled them to make a fast connection is that level of sensitivity and honesty about him. Uh, brutally honest is certainly a way that you might have described Roy in the past. And in the moment, uh, the great speech that you reference uh, that he gives to Rebecca about Rebecca not not settling for fine, that she needs to deserve somebody that makes her feel like she's been struck by lightning. Like, that is so good. Don't you dare settle, he says. Um, the sensitivity of, of, of Roy Kent, how he's so good at, you know, he being like an Ann Landers or a Dear Abby or what they would call in the UK an agony aunt. Like, how he's so good at hearing these problems or being unburdened uh, or understanding um, the the way that that's all shaking out, being unburdened around Roy Ken, I should say. I don't know why he's good at it, but he is. His sensitivity is sh- shocking in many respects because you wouldn't expect that from the the, the Roy Kent that we got in, in season one or the way he presents. Uh, so there's still waters about Roy Kent or the angry waters, I guess, in this case, and the depth of them uh, are always fascinating. I love where we find Roy Kent. I do think he's hurting significantly. I, I As I said, I don't think that there's a world where he's not, he's so not busy that any time Rebecca wants to pick a time is fine. Uh, and he's too busy to show up to any AFC Richmond match. Like that just happens to be when all of his football is going on. I, I don't know uh, that that's the case. I don't know about Roy and Keeley long term. I do ship them, but I do wonder if we're ending up in a story where they're great for each other, but maybe not great for each other uh, as long term uh, life mates. I Man, don't know. I hate that. I hate yeah, it. I just don't know. I don't know if that's where we're at with this or not. But I have to point out that we introduce a little conflict in this first episode with the two of them. Um, she brings up the pundit thing at dinner when she knows he's not comfortable with it and he's not comfortable at the dinner. Uh, and then she does apologize and he forgives her and all is well. Uh, but there is this sort of like Keely is very good for Roy uh, and very helpful for Roy. But not everything is perfect between the two of them. And if we're being honest, not everything ends up perfect in real life. Things are a lot messier than just being so perfect. I said this in our season one podcast. I feel like there are romantic comedy tropes that this show really will delve into uh, as we get further away from maybe some of the sports movie tropes and we get into uh, some of the other things, especially that we associate um, British-centric uh, things doing so well. The British-centric rom-com is like a staple uh, of the certainly the American uh, cinematic experience. It's certainly something uh, that American uh, Americans who love cinema or film uh, can point to You know, a handful of British romantic comedies that they absolutely love. So it would not shock me at all to see that we end up with some conflict with Roy and Keeley uh, or that their relationship becomes as much of a story as anyone's relationship. Maybe it, it, maybe it is. I mean, these shows 
do a very, especially workplace comedies, right? If you want to talk about the Jim and Pam uh, or taking it further back with the Tim and Dawn, uh, all of these will they or won't they storylines, The this show dispensed with that relatively quickly. We did not keep Roy and Keeley apart for very long. Um, there are some great moments between the two of them in like starting with the third episode and then by what two or three episodes later, like we're good to go when they're, when they're in make liver, make Rebecca great again in Liverpool episode seven. So four episodes later, they're pretty much together and then it's smooth sailing. I just don't think the sailing is going to be forever smooth. And I do want to know more about where Roy Kent gets this. Well, I want to ask you, Josh, why is it? Do you think, because I think the show without putting this completely on display, like they have done before, um, I think the point is there. Ted has his girl talk moment with Rebecca. We have the hilarious girl listen joke. Uh, and we have Ted ending up with painted nails. And in between what we have is Ted basically telling Rebecca, like, you have nothing to worry about with this guy. He sounds great, you know, and Ted does not get any further than that. Roy Kent meets the guy for one night and says, you should not settle. You should not settle for fine. And he's able to give Rebecca such a beautiful speech uh, about why she should feel so empowered. I mean, he's the one who gets through to her in a way that Ted Lasso has no zone, has no realm that he connects with. Why do you think these two characters present so differently with Rebecca? And why do you think the show is putting that on display? Huh, that's a really good question, and I'm not sure. I mean, the the thing that I I mostly took from Roy Kent's um, uh, very fiery speech to Rebecca is that and and I think and I think the reason why Keely just like nods with it and like is like in full agreement is because they have like found this feeling in each other, right? Like I really get that sense that for the two of them they do feel like they've been struck by lightning. Um but I also like get the sense that and this is why maybe I'm a little more optimistic about um Roy and Keely long term. I think I if they if they if they go through like a like a breakup arc if they do something like that like I I do have faith in Ted Lasso that they'll uh the show that they'll do it right um but I think that there would also be like we're, we have like enough of that like in um in the Rebecca storyline and her divorce from Rupert uh in Ted and uh and Michelle getting divorced um I think like the like the probably the most solid uh couple on the show is one we don't even really see, which is Higgins and his wife. Like he speaks very, very fondly of her. Um, I would, I they would have several children. You know, all people, all people are different people though, Josh. Uh, and he, he does, he does talk about, right? Like they've gone through the dark times that come from, you know, people who really care about each other. Um, I, I hope, I think, I think compelling stories and very funny stories and dramatic and tragic stories can be told uh, about people who stick together too. So I, I really do hope that Roy and Keeley can make it. And I, and the, the speech from Roy to Rebecca specifically, like signaled to me that this is a couple that is really, really still strong. The way that, um, uh, that Keeley was able, like when Keeley and Roy are on the phone at the end of the episode and she's like, Oh shit, that's right. It's yoga night. And like, she's just like, totally great with him like doing his thing and knowing how happy that's making him even if she is wanting to like push him a little bit more but i don't don't get the sense that she's pushing him in any way that isn't healthy uh like i i think like she is trying to like kind of like healthily activate roy a little bit and like be supportive and encouraging for him and um so I, i i hope all of that is is still good there i'll tell you the thing that makes me the most nervous uh and like this is where we can i think talk about jamie tart in love island is like that being the end of the episode like that's right. not just a gag 
right? Like it's funny and it's a gag. Like uh, I'm the biggest scorer out here, you know, like that whole sexually, <laughs> sexually, uh, and just like the way he's wearing the microphone, freaking Jamie Tart. His uh, hair looks a lot better <laughs> than the hair that he had when he went back to Man City. Let's just say it's that. just so funny um, that I I feel like I I feel like that com- that competition between Roy and Jamie is still there, and like this could be the incentive for Roy to get on television. You know, like to get back into the game in whatever form he can. And when it's like Roy versus Jamie territory, that's where it gets like kind of like a little dicey with Keeley, I think. So the relationship, the relationship stuff, I get a little nervous about if Roy is reading this final scene with Jamie as like, I got to get on TV rather than like, wow, look at this scumbag. Um, and I, I think probably narratively my instinct would be it's the first thing uh with obviously shades of the second thing but narratively uh feels like the first thing to me well it's it's interesting right because jamie tart is not just one thing to roy kent yes he's this asshole who was a major thorn in his side so selfish hurt the team somebody that roy kent just loathed as being a massive prick uh but he's also his current girlfriend's ex right Right. So that is two different things uh, that are related, but that are also separate and apart. And so seeing a person that you loathe on Love Island hits different than seeing your girlfriend's ex on Love Island. And maybe it reminds you of a thing that you don't want to think about, or it makes you feel a different way about the person that you love. I mean, there's all of that. My question is, was this, in your opinion, was this the first time that Roy became aware that Jamie was on Love Island? Or is he going there every week uh, with the yoga mom? I had the same question. To watch this. Certainly. Yeah, I don't if, know. Uh, if, you know, uh, if this was, uh, I'm going to steal your joke. Uh, if this was Roy has a podcast, right? And like, yes. uh, <laughs> which, which read my notes. Yeah, I love it that. was in your notes. Uh, if this is Roy has a podcast and there was like Love Island preseason coverage, uh, you know, he, he, uh, like he knows the cast, right? Is he a super fan? It's <laughs> you know, the question. Like he's going over with the yoga moms every week and they're watching reality TV. Is this a guy who's not aware of the cast going in? I suspect he, uh, I, I suspect for like the, for the, for like the sake of the fiction, he probably didn't know would be my guess. Just like easy TV explanation. But like if this were, if this were reality, this isn't reality TV. If this, yeah. <laughs> if, if this were reality about reality TV, then he knows Jamie Tart's on that cast. But I think probably just for like the ease and cleanliness of the narrative, like I, I read this as like, oh, you got to be freaking kidding me. Well, I think the narrative is sloppier and not clean if he doesn't know in some respects, because I would think Keeley would know, and surely Keeley would talk to Roy about that and say that she was disgusted by it, or can you believe this, or hey, you're going to find out about this and, you know, whatever. I just feel like this would have come up, not to mention if it's not the first episode. I'm not sure that it is or isn't. I'm not a Love Island guy, and I know that that was not meant to be Love Island per se. It was sort of a a cover version, if you will. Uh, But I'm given to understand that Love Island in the UK happens over a very brief period. It it happens like many uh, UK reality shows. Like It's not like us where we're spending six months on a thing like it's in intense burst for like a couple weeks and then it's done 
Um, that might be how Love Island US is happening. I don't know, but I don't know when this would have met was meant to have been filmed. Um, was this before the season? Was it, is it going on now? Love Island, I think, is mostly contemporaneous. So I, I just don't know where all of this is headed. Is this why? Is this another reason why Roy doesn't want to be on TV? My Roy has a podcast joke uh, came from you know Roy's hilarious rant about what he thinks about TV pundits, um, which is very funny because there are a lot of ex players, obviously, who are these pundits. It's a very common career path for ex players in one way, shape, or form. Whether it's with local club uh, and their websites or their TV networks, or whether it's with national or international uh, coverage, very common career path. And that's why I think it just seems like a no-brainer when uh, Bill and uh, Rebecca are at the date and they say, oh, yeah, that seems like a great fit for you. Oh, sure. Like, it just seems like a, a no-brainer. But there, Roy does not want it. He says he doesn't want it because of all the, the shit talking that goes on. And the same reason sometimes I don't want a podcast. <laughs> I felt very much yeah. in, uh, in keeping with Roy on that front. Um, but I I think there there could be more to it. I do think he probably knew. I do think he's been watching. I don't think he didn't look shocked when this came up. He looked disgusted and he tried to like laugh about it, but he was clearly disgusted. I, I don't know. I feel like he might have known this, uh, but I don't know. That's a, that for, for me. I just I just I wasn't clear to me. And I don't really know if we were meant to take in that the fact that Jamie's on TV and doing that is a big reason why Roy doesn't want to be as well. Um, is this going to cause a problem with he and Keeley as you're maybe hinting at that it could possibly that it could make Roy act a certain type of way? I don't know any of that stuff, uh, but uh, it was interesting to me that from a narrative standpoint, I wasn't I wasn't sure if this was something that he knew previously. And was this was he leaning in on this and just making himself suffer through it? Was this a way to replicate the suffering through of constant training and right, the right. stuff he put his body through? I don't know. I don't know what he's chasing here. Um, as far as how it connects to to Jamie, to to touch on that, like I think that there is a world in which like this him being on a reality show means he's not playing soccer right now i think like there's a yes. there's a certain read of that so it depends a little bit i think probably and i guess like i am not like uh uh read in at all i'm really disconnected from reality tv these days anyway but like i'm really not read in at all on how like uk reality works is this like a big brother-ish type of situation where they're you know they're you know they're taping and airing like really quickly after each other yeah, i think so um is it is it the kind of thing where uh this was banked months earlier and if so he's still playing soccer this is something that happened off season um so like we just need to know a little bit more but it's interesting uh very interesting if it means that he's um he's not playing currently um as far as like the ramifications of what could jamie's story be like how do you get jamie back onto afc richmond um is it he has like fallen so low or he's like so out to disappoint his father at this point that like he's not even gonna play anymore um it it's it's a funny gag at the end of the episode um but like definitely reads uh uh, it, it's it's definitely like the kind of thing that you really chew on if you are at the place and i hope that you are if you're like uh you know taking the show pretty seriously if you take jamie tart seriously as a character uh that like it's not just funny and it is funny but it's not just funny it's also really provocative for where he might be and how he might come back into the show definitely you're right that like we don't typically see footballers in the prime of their career like jamie tart was end up on a reality show unless something has gone very very wrong 
uh, even in the UK. Um, that's just not something, you know, the shows like I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, Celebrity Big Brother, things that were that were or are often big in the UK. Um, they have had ex-footballers or uh, celebrities come on, and it's exactly the same as it is here. Uh, in that it's it's some version of like, okay, so maybe things aren't going so well for you, uh, or you feel the need to get like some kind, if you think this will give you a boost, you must be in need of a boost, because you wouldn't do this if you weren't. Uh, and so that definitely feels a little bit like what's happening here with Jamie Tart. Like, this is not someone focused on football, whether that means he stopped playing um, did you know is is this going to lead to Manchester City cutting him in some way or uh, buying out his deal or maybe getting him back to AFC Richmond? I speculated in our, our previous podcast that one of the things that he could do is something that footballers often do, which is agitate for a move. Um, it's just something that uh, that you know you if you want to play in a certain place uh, and you have had your head turned, as they say, and you have the idea that you want to go play there. Um, you can find your way back there, usually, even though someone's got your contract, even though you're supposed to play somewhere else, uh, especially if you're high profile enough, you can find your way to get back to what you need to do. So I could certainly see Man City saying, I don't, we don't want this headache. What is Jamie Tart? Like, there's a million Jamie Tarts. Like, we, we're just, we have six other Jamie Tarts right here. Send him away. Get him back to AFC Richmond if that's where he wants to go. Uh, and I, I could see that happening if Jamie Tart were to hit bottom. Like, And this is sort of the process that you could see he would be right. in if he's going to hit bottom. It's like he's circling the drain by doing this. Uh, and he's going to end up drained. And then he's going to end up wanting to get uh, you know, re- replenished. And that, that could see him coming back to AFC Richmond. Uh, so you could see that. Uh, and certainly if that happens, that could be a Dr. Fieldstone special as well. Um, even though Ted did get through to Jamie uh, in his own way and throughout the central conflict of season one, um, he was able to get through to Jamie. Uh, clearly, the note that he gave Jamie or that he had Beard deliver to Jamie uh, at the end of season one has not helped Jamie such that he's on Love Island or whatever this is called. Uh, but I don't know where we end up with Jamie, but clearly he's still in the show. Uh, and clearly, I think we're going to find a way to bring him back into the story more than just showing up on Roy's uh, Yoga Moms TV shows. So I think he's going to be back at AFC Richmond as a matter of when, not if. Uh, and it's just a matter of what brings him there. And I think this speaks to he could be in a place where he's going to need AFC Richmond because he could be on the on the you know on the uh, mend, uh, as it were, from a reputation standpoint, from a career standpoint. So we could see him get back for sure. I think I think we're heading there pretty quickly. Um, so we're saving the queen for last uh, as as we're talking about the Rebecca storyline now. Um, Rebecca, who has gotten back into dating, dating John Wayne's night, she says goodbye Newman to him at the coffee shop, even though she doesn't know that's what she's doing until she's doing it, largely inspired by the Roy Kent speech. Is it prompted by anything else, Antonio? Very good question. Uh, very good question. Like, the the question that we have is, like, what of Rebecca? I mean, I don't want to read Rebecca through the lens of just her relationships with men. That's the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it, it is a short shrift on Rebecca that said, like, that was her central conflict in season one, was how the failing of her relationship with Rupert, and specifically how she was treated uh, in the context of that, led her to behave the way she behaved, and added dimensionality to what would have normally been a one-dimensional sports movie villain uh, in a role that we've seen. Um, we were we treated her much differently, and she seems to have just 
be presenting with Ted as though everything's fine. We have the Mad Men office that she's got with the cocktail cart and everybody chilling out and having drinks at work and just having a great time. Um, so everything seems smooth on the home front at AFC Richmond. Uh, but she is putting herself back out there and she is open uh, to being attacked, I think, in some ways. And she finds in the course of this episode the time to be brave. I think it's time to be brave in part because of Roy's speech, but I also think in part because of what she sees as she's looking around that room when she sees a couple at, at very uh, low comfort or high comfort level with each other texting, another couple that's in a uh, very intimate uh, context uh, where they, they seem very much in love and very uh, you know activated. And then we see a woman by herself and... I don't know what it's all with those the two- ongoing Magnolia motif, by the way, yes. which had previously been referenced in the episode as Amy Mann's Wise Up is playing in the background, which is uh, iconically used in Magnolia to signal the shift into the climax of the film as all of the characters are singing along to the song. Uh, so it is like uh, very like pop culturally iconically tied to this moment of great character introspection. Uh, so for that to be playing in the background is Rebecca is having what may be some sort of transformative moment. Cause we don't know what's on the other side of this revelation. We don't know. And I think that's the real big debate. Right. And again, not right to debate this through the lens of just Rebecca and another man in the show. But of course, people are talking, uh, whether rightly or wrongly, uh, and I, I think most people not with a negative agenda are talking about Rebecca and Ted. Is that a thing that will happen? We talked about it on our podcast. Are we going to ship this? Is this a thing we want to happen? Um, does it make sense? Are they right for each other? Are they better as loving each other as friends? Like, where is that? Uh, so when Rebecca says, like, I, I need to let someone wonderful love me, like, obviously, the brain fills in the blank with who is that someone wonderful. And I think some people will read that possibly is that Ted. Uh, and that's the question I think that I don't know the show definitely wants us to be asking that. Like, we don't, for example, a way you lean into that is, you know, you, you dissolve from that into Ted's face, right? Uh, or we smash cut uh, to Ted being the next thing that we see. Uh, it doesn't necessarily work that cleanly. I am interested in the magnolia of it all more than just anything. I mean, not for nothing, uh, the death of a character named Earl uh, is sort central of central to, to magnolia. magnolia. Yep. Uh, and we have all of these little points that are made. I mean, that could have been any film that was referenced there. I do think it's interesting um, that Ted's Magnolia moment, Ted referencing Magnolia and trying to get Danny to buy in, leads to a very funny joke about the little tiny ponytail and very funny how Beard chimes in as sort of a Greek chorus or a human Wikipedia there. Um, but it didn't. It didn't work. Like Ted bringing up that with Danny and trying to crack that nut with this obscure, you know, this film reference that may have been so somewhat obscure for Danny Rojas doesn't work. Doctor Fieldstone. It seems like mumbo jumbo, right. whatever she says to Danny Rojas, but it works incredibly well. Uh, so I, I do think that the, the Magnolia is interesting to put kind of center of discussion in some well, ways. Yeah, I, I do have a thought about it. I mean, um, you know, the tiny ponytail, they're talking about the Tom Cruise character, Frank T.J. Mackey, who is like this uh, awful, uh, like uh, uh, very misogynistic Tony Robbins type. 
who uh, has a couple of catchphrases that I dare not say out loud on a podcast, uh, even quoting it. Uh, and like, they refer to human private parts, yes, right? Yes, yes, about taming uh, certain things. And uh, uh, gotta be honest, I don't love that movie, and that character is a big reason. Sure, why. The, where they again, gonna spoil Magnolia now. Uh, it's been out for a very long time, yep. so uh, pause the podcast and watch Magnolia. I guess. Um, the the culmination of that character um uh being like this like uh like the, he's like you know whether or not it's 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 gonna justify all of the hurt it's not really but like he is a really broken guy um with a lot of pain in his past that he is able to to confront to some degree towards the end of the movie in a way that like completely destroys and dissolves the facade uh, that completely uh, like cracks um, all of that outward confidence um, and that uh, you know ev- everything that he's he's projecting. Uh, and Ted Lasso is not Frank T.J. Mackey, and probably to put it a better way, Frank T.J. Mackey is no Ted Lasso. Um, but is there? Are we building towards some kind of moment where the walls come crumbling down with Ted? Um, that I can see. That I can. We headed see. in. We headed in season one. Yes. I mean, to an extent, right? Right. And I think we're. I think what's very clear, as I said earlier, with the time jump, and I want to I want to bring this back to the Rebecca discussion. But where we're clear is like these characters were changed by the events of last season. Ted coming to the UK has changed him. Rebecca uh, coming to the realization that it's okay for her to be in pain, uh, but it's not okay for her to hurt others with that pain, and it's okay now in this episode and in this scene we were talking about. It's okay for her to want to be treated wonderfully and to ask for greatness. It's okay for her to feel like she deserves that. And that is a, that's a moment of clarity for her in many respects. It is not just born out of Roy Kent telling her that. It is not just born out of her having positive experiences with Ted Lasso or negative experiences with Rupert. Uh, it's born out of her own observations about life. It's born out of her own experiences. It's born out of, she brings up her great friend, Flo, Sassy. It, it's, it's born out of her relationships with people like that, with Keely. Like we saw Keely helping Rebecca come into her own and get, get her confidence back in season one. Uh, we saw that with flow, uh, happening as well. So these things are all a product of what's, of what's bringing Rebecca to this table that she finds herself in this cafe with this Magnolia moment with Amy Mann. Uh, but they're all combining to create something that I don't know that we know where we go from here. Uh, I don't know what that means for Rebecca. I hope that means that she holds out for something right. And she doesn't just seem to think, Ted Lasso's the guy. I, I hope that if Ted Lasso is the guy, it's because of more things that happen on the show, uh, that we see more things happening between the two of them. Because as I was just suggesting, Ted is not in, in, not fixed either. And what we see from that is he has these real apprehensions about therapy. He has real trust issues in some respects that are developed, probably not just because of what happened uh, with he and Michelle, but what happened with him and Rebecca, what happened with him and this team, uh, what happened with his own failures uh, with the club, not getting them uh, to stay up. Like all of these things are there with Ted Lasso. He's carrying them all around. Maybe Rebecca has come to her moments a little bit more clearly than he has and a little bit more quickly. 
And maybe Rebecca will help Ted now uh, get some clarity on what Ted deserves out of life and where Ted deserves to be and how Ted needs to give himself a break. Like maybe all that will happen and they will have this great relationship that continues to blossom where like in season one, they support each other and their relationship comes from that and evolves from there. I hope that if we do end up with a Ted and Rebecca, it is a product of that. Uh, and totally it is a product of, of moments like this, uh, not where Rebecca is thinking of Ted, but where Rebecca is thinking of Rebecca and what that means for Rebecca going forward. And if that means that she ends up with Ted because she's a better person and can be more supportive of him when he needs it and she can recognize in him her own pain or her own mistakes, I think that's where the show can really do a lot of great work over this season. And I do think it necessarily means that we're going to see a Ted who isn't great. And I think that's okay because we saw it in season one and we ended up in a place that felt so good still. Uh, I think we can trust this show to get us there again. Whether that means Rebecca and Ted are together or apart, I don't think it really matters, Josh. It's like the end of another show we podcasted about with The Leftovers. It doesn't really matter whether it was true or not. Like, it happened. Right. Totally. Um, on the on the Rebecca front, uh, and to tie it back even to Roy, just to, to call out some of the feedback we got for this episode, a lot of people who just loved that moment between those two characters, uh, Tova writes in, might have shed a tear at Roy's speech to Rebecca. I just love him so damn much. Uh, the incredible Jess Sterling says, I really loved everything Roy did. His speech is something everybody needs to hear. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of similar, uh, takes um about this just some more feedback real quickly this was from jared uh jared said uh i think we're heading towards a conflict of the therapist really helping the team out and ted not understanding why or how what she's doing is so much better than what he's doing uh so it works better for us to not see these meetings between uh dr fieldstone and the players yet um i think that i i think that i ultimately agree with that take um in terms of being left out of the conversation between Dr. Fieldstone and Danny Rojas. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of, I mean, one of my favorite films, if not my, a long time in my life, that has been my favorite film is Alfred Hitchcock's vertigo. And there's a centralized moment in that film where you have been with a character for the entire film, experienced what they've experienced, felt their pain, felt their confusion, felt their agony. And then you learn something that that character does not know. And so then the relationship has changed. Like, this is no longer you experiencing a film uh, in the shoes of a character. It's you experiencing a film where you had been so deeply entrenched in the shoes of a character, and then you learn something that that character doesn't. And so there's so much conflict generated from how will this, you know, your mind reels immediately. Like, oh my gosh, how does this character who I know so deeply and so I'm, I'm so emotionally connected to, how are they going to react to this thing that I learned? And so I think there's some of that with the therapy. I think it makes sense that we didn't see in that room. And because we're so heavily invested in Ted and we anchor ourselves in many respects in Ted's emotions and in the way Ted feels about things that are happening, I think the confusion on our end is good. I think the show has a little bit of work to do to make sure that we don't see uh, Dr. Fieldstone as a villain. Yes. Uh, because Ted is our hero and Ted is the person at the center of the show, flawed or not that we most associate with, if he's uh, at odds with her, uh, then it feels like we could be at odds with her. So at some point, I think we are going to need to see something that Ted doesn't see so that we can be placed differently from Ted and feel that conflict they're gonna have emerge. To, it's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's, it's a complicated maneuver that they're going to have to pull off. Yes. I, th I, I think the, the writing of the show up to this point convinces me that they'll be able to do it, but it's definitely not without a, a, a pretty... Uh, significant degree of difficulty. Uh, so they're gonna right. 
They're going to have to nail that. A couple other pieces of feedback. This is from Deidre. Deidre asks us, Antonio, what show did the Royal You enjoy watching more? Lust Conquers All or Sexy Beasts? <laughs> I did not watch Sexy Beasts. I would have loved Beasts. to see Jamie Tart on Sexy Beasts. Um, Emily and I watched the first episode. Look, the makeup effects are very impressive. Uh, it looked incredible in the trailer, but incredible to the point of horror. It is a little end. bit of a nightmare. Uh, it is. It is. Uh, it, Unless I guess you're a furry, in which case it's a true moment of like thrill. It's very impressive, know. and the people who are doing the makeup work on that show should be. Uh, hopefully, they're being paid obscene amounts of money. You know, they're not. Uh, you know, they're, they're definitely not. not. And so, I hope <laughs> that somebody sees what they've done here and hires them for really cool shit because they yeah. should be making some sort of monster show. Um, uh, well, they are. <laughs> a better monster. It's not in the way that you a think. A better monster show. Uh, uh, yeah. What was the name of the the Deidre? What's the actual name of the show's Love Island parody here? Oh, it's um. Hang on, let me grab that again. It's uh, Lust Conquers All. Lust Conquers All. Yes. That is also a monster show in my view. Yes, so yes. fair enough. Lust Conquers All is the name of the show. Um, I would have much preferred to see uh, Jamie Tart on Drag Race UK. Mm-hmm. That would have been my sweet spot. Uh, for a show that I put him in a makeover challenge uh, where he gets made over. Although uh, the humor that would have come out of that would have, would have probably come off as mean spirited. So I, I don't want to actually see that, but I'm not, that's, that's my, that's my sweet spot. I, I'm not a, that's your, not a that's love your reality guy. show. I'm a drag race. I know guy. you are. I'm not a love uh, from, from Sean, uh, Sean says, I'm totally going to start telling my students to be like a high end tape measure and snap back quickly. Uh, lots of great witty lassoisms this week. That was definitely I on the ha- list. Feeling like a bigger loser than the biggest loser on the biggest loser. Jeez, <laughs> yeah, something to that effect. Uh, yeah. Like I don't even know. I uh, can't even unpack that in my brain. Uh-huh. But yeah. It was yeah. good. That, that was that. Was that? Did you like the? Was that your? Fi- what was your favorite kind of one-off joke? Did you like the? I really like the Earl and Nigel joke. I like the delivery on that joke uh, from character who we only got to see uh, Annette Badland as May in like forget, just that one moment. I forget the exact line. But when Danny is in the shower and he's washing the death off of him, Ted said yeah. something hilarious about like uh, don't get forget- the soap in those crevices to get the you know the the eternal whatever yeah, damnation that, off of you or whatever. I, I howled on the second watch because I didn't catch that on the first time. Uh, and then the other <laughs> thing that I really loved is not a Ted moment, but when um, when uh, because Danny's in the in the shower. Uh, Ted tells everybody to go home to take their showers and Sam says, coach, some of us prefer bubble baths. Uh, yeah. I don't know why that killed me, but that really, really slayed The team me. agreed. That was very funny <laughs> that everyone on the team was like, yeah, we're bath, we're bath guys. Some I'm a bath man. Bath guys. I'm a bath man from way back, man. I'm a bath oh, man I my took, whole life. I took I'm a all bath, about the bath last night. Daddy Goldblum. It was great. It was really, Hell really yeah. Great. Where do you have a bathtub? I don't think I've ever yeah, seen I've that. Yeah, I've got bathtub a bathtub. Our shower, we've got like the bath shower. Uh, I've never been in the personal yeah, wiggler yeah. Uh, master bath, mm-hmm, so that's yeah. probably well, that's probably a, for the best. That's subterranean. That's a, you have to active like you have to pull the right book off of the shelf, and then you go oh, down the the well, pneumatic tube, and then you get into yeah. the the wiggler bat cave, the wombat cave, as we call that. The wombat yeah. cave. That makes sense. That's right. That's where I keep my Very bath. deep under mm-hmm. deep under yeah, a really, really hard underground. Yeah. Um, Antonio, anything else from this episode yes. that you wanna you wanna hit on quickly before we wrap? Let's call this free kick. Uh, we'll just call this segment free kick where we just kind of hit uh, little moments of the show. Uh, I want to talk about speaking of resetting things and speaking of the second season, giving you an opportunity uh, on the first on, you know, from kickoff um, 
we, we hear Colin Hughes. We hear about Colin Hughes on what sounded like ADR from Arlo White. Uh, as Danny Rojas is walking up for the dog penalty, um, they say Colin Hughes is really feeling good. Got to be feeling good because he was at fault for the equalizer. So we're putting Colin uh, at, at the center of a mistake and a mental problem. It is Colin and Thierry Zoro who, or was it Zoro, uh, who are witnessing I don't Danny know, in the it shower? Sounds like you're pronouncing it right to me. I don't know. You know. It is later Colin and uh, Zoro who have seen Doctor Fieldstone. So uh, we we get a little bit more Colin uh, in in terms of uh, centering him. I think in a couple of these moments in the episode, I think it's worth noting because to me that speaks to the idea that we're probably going to get probably as much Colin this season as we got of Sam or Danny last season would be my guess. I could be wrong about that, but it seems like we're centering Colin right away with what sounded like ADR dialogue to me. It makes it feel like, you know, it would be good to see that pretty quickly early on if we could. And they probably added it in post. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see more Colin uh, this series. I loved the goddamn internet uh, line from uh, Higgins. Oh, Hilarious yeah. He's delivery. like, at least uh, now, uh, now we're not going to be televised every game. Yes, Higgins, but the internet. Oh, right. <laughs> the goddamn internet. Yeah, I've already retweeted that uh, that tweet yeah. uh, from a Ted Lasso GIFs account. Uh, that was uh, at Ted Lasso uh, GIFs, and they tweeted that, so I retweeted it. It's perfect. That will be, I think, perfect to use in so many ways on Twitter especially, so loving that. Uh, I also really l- laughed so hard at uh, Trent's question, uh, specifically the way he phrased it. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on Earl, the dog Danny Rojas killed yes. today. yes. <laughs> He really buried the lead there, not saying how's Danny uh, or, you know, Ted, what do you have to say about what happened there at the end of the match? Just thoughts on Earl, the dog Danny Rojas killed today is a hilarious sentence delivered hilariously. It it is, but it is also to me such a signal of, you know, Trent asking the question that needs to be asked. It's kind of wild that they are that far into the press conference and that's not the first question that's asked, uh, just in terms of like how these things go. That's the headline. Uh, Danny Rojas killed a dog. Uh, You know, like that's the first question at that press conference. So that it hasn't been asked yet is is crazy. Um, But I think it's also a sign of the... um, the relationship between Trent Krim and Ted Lasso still doing his job, asking the question that has to be asked, um, but doing it in a way where he is setting Ted Lasso up to answer it. However, Ted Lasso chooses to answer it. You know what I mean? Like yes. asking it in a way where like the floor is yours, but address the I was going to say the elephant in the room, but the greyhound in the room. Well, and like a good lawyer, you don't ask a question where you don't feel like you're going to get the answer that helps you. Right. And I think Trent knows that, as you're saying, he knows not not just that this is the question to ask, but this is a question where Ted's going to have a take. Like Ted's going to have something positive to say that can make people feel better, that can be interesting, relatable, human. And Ted delivers just a home run story, just an absolutely home run story that, yes, you're right, I think speaks to what Ted is carrying around about his marriage, I think reminds us that Ted is carrying around a lot of emotional pain as well he should be uh, from what happened. And I think really does a good job of setting that up from the beginning of the season, but also reminding us like who Trent Krim is, what Trent Krim does, why he's good at what he does, and why Ted is good for those types of things. So I think that was 
a really important thing to to hit from the beginning, from the top, uh, and introduce uh, as we are beginning the second season. Speaking of things being introduced in the second season, we didn't talk about a new character, uh, Jan Moss. We talked a little bit about the Dutch aspects of him. Um, what do you think? Do you think Jan Moss is just there for a one-note joke, or do you think there might be more to this Jan Moss character? Uh, he's he's the one who says, only you played terribly, right? And yes, he's, like, yes, no, he's, he's just, just being he's Dutch. He's just being Dutch. Um, yeah. I I suspect he's just like another uh another voice in the locker room. You know, we need to like boost the the ensemble there a tiny bit now that Roy Kent is gone. Uh you know, Nate's role is different. Um so I think uh there's there's some to some degree to which like I think they're just like fleshing out the cast. Uh yeah. I don't anticipate there being like an enormous Jan Moss storyline this season any more so than like uh, a Sam storyline, you know, like I, I or, or a Danny storyline. Like those two seem to be the characters who were like, who were definitely notable characters in season one, but didn't necessarily have like major arcs in season one, that those would be the characters that I hope would get like major arcs among like the, like the, the team itself uh, above a new character that they're just like introducing out of nowhere. I think that Jan Moss has potential to, to be really, really funny on the show and his existence uh, and his contributions um, could certainly help like grease the wheels on some narrative stuff. Uh, but I don't expect there to be like a huge storyline with him. It felt like he was just being played for jokes and probably is going to continue to be that way. Just, yeah. And we'll find new ways to make the same jokes over and over. Yep. And maybe by the end of the season, he will uh, behave slightly differently, having been changed by all the positive energy in the locker room. Uh so we'll see. We'll see on Jan Moss. I enjoyed the unlucky. Uh, that is something I always like hearing uh, or seeing. Uh, there's a, I'm a Liverpool supporter. There's a hilarious Liverpool meme uh, with Lucas Leva, uh, an ex-Liverpool uh, stalwart, uh, saying unlucky. Um, that was something he picked up uh, from British slang. He is a Brazilian, Lucas. So uh, very funny. I loved hearing that. I also liked the New York Jets joke uh, that I believe was in the trailer. Uh, but a very funny joke, a very funny Americanized punchline. There are probably other ways to do that punchline with other sport, but I thought very funny to have that yeah. there. Speaking of sport and uh, England, um, just a, a unique thing, I, I think, especially um, in football, is what they call the Derby, uh, spelled D-E-R-B-Y, uh, and sort of just like that word in that it's a, a, it's a, it's a sporting event. Uh, but in the context of a sporting event, a Derby is like your rivalry. And we introduced that with a sort of a one, you know, just a one sentence from Higgins, uh, the joke about how their rival over at Brentford uh, sent them a bunch of Thai food as a joke. <laughs> yeah. So I think we could be introducing a, a fun kind of, that's an episode we could do of Ted Lasso, a Derby. Um, maybe they weren't able to do that because one team was up in the Premier League and one team was not. And so they weren't playing and now they're both in the championship. Maybe we'll actually see uh, the way that that could play out, the way a rivalry week, a Derby week could play out. Um, some big moments, ex-players coming in. Like There are a lot of things football-wise they can do with that. Uh, and by having a good rival team there, um, we have a great opportunity to kind of play in those sandboxes. So it wouldn't surprise me to see that. I love the Barkingham Palace joke, Josh. I think that might have been my favorite joke of the episode, uh, more so even than the Empire Strikes Back joke, uh, the joke that Richmond now uh, is the, uh, the the proud, uh, perhaps a little guilty, uh, great benefactor of the largest dog shelter in Richmond yeah. uh, called Barkingham Palace. Yes. Very funny. 
Love that. Um, what else? Are there any free kicks for you? I have a few more. Uh, no, I mean, I think that I touched on a bunch of them that I, that I, I, I love the swear tab, the swear jar for Phoebe. Yeah, let's talk about that. She, that number she has, was what? Uh, 1,236 pounds that she's owed by, by Roy at this point. <laughs> uh, I that also is also just, the I, same number. That's the same number of their record from the, uh, the paper game. 1236. Oh amazing. So is that is that uh is that a, is that one of the is that is that the lasso numbers? Are 1236 the lasso numbers? There's definitely some sort of easter egg in the writers room about that. Uh whatever the story about that actually is is uh is is interesting. Uh, I would love to know more. I will. I just love Roy, like the first shot of Roy with like the hag, the haggard beard, and he's like barking down at at, at the team, at the kids, uh, and telling that one kid like you put your whole body out there. She's like, you got it, coach. Uh, and now he's like, don't eat. What does he say? Like, don't eat the, don't eat the peels, you savages. <laughs> the orange slices, uh, <laughs> like that. That really, uh, that really, really cracked me up. It's very funny. I love the the little girl Kokoruda. She she was her energy was great. The one that had the ice pack on her head, so funny. I did think uh, we got. I did think it was funny. Uh, uh, John Wayne's knight, uh, who uh, is like always like telling these stories, like his his like uh, like like that felt like. So you and you and I have both listened to, and people who haven't should check this out. Uh, the great Leslie Goldberg and Dan Feinberg's TV's top five podcast at the Hollywood Reporter. They interviewed Brett Goldstein, who plays Roy Kent and is a writer on the show Emmy nominee. Uh, Brett Goldstein, as they love to say, uh, and uh, he. He had he had a, a lot of a lot of stories to to share, and one of the things that he articulated um, was how there is you know a fairly minimal amount of improv on the show. It's it's mostly just like you know adapting the great scripts that they're writing in in the room. But having said that, the 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 John character at both the the dinner table during during the double date and also the coffee date, like it felt like he could just be like, he could just be like improvising a different story. Every take like uh, this, like Martin yes. short thought I stole his wallet story and like the way that that unfolds. And it just ended Martin short's wallet was in the couch cushion the whole time. Is um, this guy like a, is he like a producer? I feel like both of his uh, stories that we heard centered around like theater shows. Yes. Like uh, is, he must have been like a theater producer. Seemed like or something. it. Seemed like yeah. it. Yeah. He also not for nothing. Uh, that actor, I, I I thought I had seen him before, and I, when I looked it up after the show, he played the replacement, the Swindon boss from the British Office, who was named Neil, who was this beloved uh, character who was the foil to Ricky Gervais's David Brent. Uh, who David Brent was so jealous of. He was the other man, if you will, for all the people that David Brent was trying to be worshipped by uh, in his office. Uh, this was the the replacement manager when the branches were going to merge. Like I think this was the guy who was brought in, and I believe the that that uh, that the famous David Brent dance uh, completely results as a result of the trying hard of the David Brent character to win respect because Neil is getting it from all the employees for just being a nice, good guy. Uh, so interesting choice on this actor as sort of the other guy who comes in and makes uh, the the original guy jealous. If you want to read it through the Ted and Rebecca lens, there probably is a version of this story where Ted meets the guy and starts to feel jealous about him. Uh, and that's obviously not what the show did. Thankfully, they didn't. But it is interesting that that's the actor. Um, how about the joke about wearing a red cap to a planned parenthood fundraiser? <laughs> that dark. That's a real third rail. That that's was, a real third uh, rail. That was dicey. I don't know. They, but, I don't know if they fully land 
ended that one, but we we do establish that Ted went to a Planned Parenthood fundraiser, yeah. so that's the Ted Lasso character. But yeah. that was a that's a third rail. Joke I agree. For sure. I agree. Yeah. That was like a, uh, uh, a little... the opposite of like the joke that comes immediately after that, where he just shouts Stamos. Yeah, uh, when she says his name is John, mm-hmm. and then all the Wings Night jokes. Uh, in the girl listen joke. So that, that Planned Parenthood joke was, uh, it was a little bit, uh, a little bit third rail for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think it was, we had a little bit of, uh, Isaac. We see Isaac as the new captain. Uh, we always knew that that was in the works, uh, because he was the vice captain who Roy had passed the armband off to. He's someone now who I, who I him, hope gets more of a story this season too. Uh, would love, I hope so would love too. to see, uh, you know, some, some, even, even if it's story through action, I just want to see more of the character. Reading about, uh, reading a lot of the stuff Brendan Hunt has done. He's done a Reddit AMA. He's done a lot of interviews and articles, as we've pointed out. I believe in one of them, he said one of his favorite Easter eggs from season one are all the subtle moments from season one that uh, make it clear that Roy saw Isaac's leadership potential. It wasn't just throwing something at the TV when Jamie Tart was on TV being Jamie Tart. Uh, it was moving aside so Nate could sit down. It was little things like that uh, where he stepped up on a human level. Uh, and so we see him helping Danny here in this episode when Danny is trying to get rid of the yips and kicking the ball oh, don't say in that. the middle of that Shakespeare. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm not supposed to say that. No, what is the podcast version of a word we're not oh supposed to god. say? Oh, my God. Is it Strigoi? Is that, is that what <laughs> yeah, it is? Is that, so. a yips? is that a word that doesn't get entered? Or is that just what we yell when yeah, someone utters a yippable word? Yeah, that's what we, that's what we yell whenever someone does the podcast equivalent of the yips. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Ted's general apprehension and a modest w- Midwestern skepticism. Uh, talk about like hitting close to home for me. Uh, that was very funny uh, about his, his thoughts about therapy. Sure. Uh, very funny. Uh, I, I do really want to see the Roy speech, not just because it's been talked about a couple times now, but because this is the kind of speech that made a racist want to talk to his son about non-racism mm-hmm. things. So what is that speech? Like, how did it well, resonate with an old racist, that, and, but also be seen as a moment of brilliance? Well, I know I, th- this is a little bit walking it back because, like, I did say, like, I, I really wish that we had seen it. And I, I expect that we will. I do think it also would have been great to it, it would be great if we never see it. And it's just like this legendary thing. Uh, you know, if it's just something that like, uh, you know, it will, will will the actual thing live up to the hype? um of of the of the Roy Kent retirement speech I'm not sure I'm not sure so may, maybe it's maybe it's better left as this thing that you just hear bits and pieces of um, speaking of which uh one of the things I had in my notes here to to clean up before we finished is we have a weird one-off joke about the gin blossoms talking about hey jealousy and follow you down two of their hits and Ted says nope Hey, Jealousy is their best song, mm-hmm. but Follow You Down is my favorite song. Don't you know that story? You don't know that story? Uh, you know, Never mind. He doesn't tell the story. I don't think there's a story about the song specifically, and I don't know if there's a story about Ted in the song, but it's just so weird that there's a story referenced here, and we didn't hear it, and it was sort of a never mind thing. Uh, so I don't know if we'll get more. I, I don't think we're going to hear anything about this uh, Follow You Down again. But I don't have anything to add about why there would be a story there, like why that would be Ted's favorite song. I don't know about that. I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by that, but it would seem like maybe just a throwaway joke, like the Hamilton joke at the beginning of that moment. Uh, maybe it was just a throwaway joke. I don't know. I do love the all diff- all people are different people. That was such a good, like that was a truth bomb that was dropped right there. Totally. It's such a good statement for the show. It's such a, a good- A great beardism, like, yeah. Great beardism that was a lassoism, right? Like that that was a lasso via beard, like so beautiful. Yep. I loved that. 
I love the little joke too about the 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 Earl Memorial being peed on <laughs> by a dog. Like uh, it's just a, a dog moment. You know what I mean? You got a thing that yeah. you care about and you respect. A dog gives zero fucks yeah. and you piss on it. Yeah. I know a cat will too. Don't come at me. Yeah, I just it's just such a funny moment. Uh, such such a really really funny moment. Uh, yeah. The the twelve thirty six. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Um, that's something that I you know. If don't this play those were, numbers. Josh, don't play those numbers. This were Mister Robot or the leftovers. I would be on twelve thirty six watch like insanely, uh, saying like, what is this going to happen? Is the character going to die at twelve thirty six? Like, mm-hmm. is there you know is that is that going to be some key moment? And it just seems like a running like you said, writers room Easter egg, writers room joke. Yeah, I think it's probably Jason Sudeikis's pin is uh yeah one maybe. two three oh, God. six we should <laughs> have the exact combination on my luggage yeah um one final thing i want to end with because it's the way the show ends uh which is the live is life uh a song by i believe by the band opus uh i don't know if you pronounce the title of the song uh life is life or if you pronounce it live is life or life is life i don't know how you pronounce it but the song it, it, title is live is life uh, and it plays in the end credits here. I think at least for one main reason, I believe this to be a tribute to the late, great uh, Diego Maradona, who was referenced in season one uh, in a very uncouth way by Jamie Tart, uh, telling him uh, to tell Sam's mom uh, that she should time travel back and meet Maradona instead of Sam's dad, uh, because Maradona had this talent. Um, and he's just this incredible, magical footballer who did just insane things on the football pitch that the likes of which were never seen before and have not been seen since. And truly just a a magician and a wizard died. uh, I think maybe a couple months into COVID uh, last year, he lived uh, the way he played football. He lived with a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff on display. Um, He had very public problems with substance abuse, uh, probably contributed in no small part to his death. He didn't die of an overdose or anything, but he had heart issues. Um, I know there were some med mal, medical malpractice suggestions that went on there. We don't really know why, but he died and it was a major moment in the soccer universe. There is a famous video of him, a legendary video of him warming up before a soccer match while that song is playing. Uh, And he's basically warming up in tune with the song. He's dancing with the football. Like he's just doing legitimate, like keepy ups kind of magic, just popping the ball around, balancing on his head. And it's soundtracked to this song that's playing in the stadium. So that feels to me like the show's tribute to Diego Maradona uh, and a way of saying like, we love our football. Like this show, uh, this is a love letter to the sport in many respects. It would be wrong for us to not acknowledge this, or we would feel like we should, um, even though the guy had a super complicated life and had a lot of problems, like what he brought to us as football fans, we cannot ignore. It is also the song uh, that Liverpool fans uh, have created sort of a song to our beloved manager, Jurgen Klopp, uh, to the same tune of this song. Uh, so immediately when I hear it, that's where my mind goes. Um, so this is a football song. They did this in season one um, where they use Crystal Palace's song at the end of one of the episodes, sort of as a wink and a nod to the fact that Crystal Palace, the franchise, has been so kind to them in letting them use their home stadium as Richmond AFC's stadium. So, or I'm sorry, AFC Richmond Stadium. Uh, so this could just be a nod to a very popular football song, um, one that has meaning for lots of different football fans for different reasons. So I love that this was the end of the, that this was the needle drop at the end of this first episode. Um, sometimes we're going to see ones more on point, right? Where the Diamond Dogs are created in an episode. That's where we right. have the Diamond Dog song. Uh, this one, I think, was here as a Maradona tribute, maybe as a shout out to Jurgen Klopp. As far as I know, there's no Liverpool supporters in that writer's room. 
Um, they, we have Tottenham supporters. We have Arsenal supporters. Uh, I don't know about Liverpool supporters there, but that is a, that's a song that means a lot to me, just as a song I, I hear uh, people chanting a lot for Jurgen Klopp. So that's, I think, why that song was at the end. And I don't have anything else. Sorry to have talked so much here at the end. No, not at all. Um, Lavender is the name of the next episode of Ted Lasso. Also uh, something that you could put too much of inside of a soup. Uh, <laughs> yeah a little bit of lavender could spoil goes, a little sure. lavender goes a long way uh let's see how <laughs> much lavender they use savory here. ingredient yeah <laughs> well, i think savory i think lavender. i know i know that's yeah. why i bring it up um yeah. so lavender coming next uh and we're gonna be back in a week's time chewing on that lavender seeing what's going on with all these characters Antonio, I think a really great kickoff to to the season and a lot of things that were worth talking through in an extensive way here as we're setting the table for what's to come. I'm pretty hyped. You know, like I think there's uh like if, if I were to stack this against a bunch of the season one episodes, like there's still so much from season one I would put above this one, but I also want to reserve the judgment of like I need to see where they're going. Um but I think that they 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 put a lot of interesting things out on the pitch. Uh, that uh, we are gonna we're gonna see where it all goes. Uh, and and I'm I'm really really happy about that. I'm really happy to be back in new lasso season. I was just so thrilled watching this episode. Uh, a few moments where where you and I uh, texted offline of just like, oh my god, yeah. I can't believe the, this. Uh, the truth is, there was a very Ted Lasso moment for me in my life where I I said to you at like midnight on Thursday night, like it's up, like uh you know Ted Lasso, and then like five minutes later. I just texted you all caps OMG. And then I realized like that might let you know that there's an OMG moment in the first five minutes of the episode. So then I said, OMG, I can't believe we're living in a timeline where we get <laughs> yeah. new Ted Lasso. Yeah, it's great. I'm like, it was oh, great. it was such a, such a Ted Lasso like thing for me to protect you with a goofy joke. It was wonderful. It was, yeah. it was absolutely wonderful. Um, <laughs> hit us up. We want to hear from you. Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com. Get your feedback in. We'll read it on the show, uh, specifically if it is about the episode. That is really what we're looking for. But if you got anything else, write to us. We'd love to hear from you. Ted Lasso at postshowrecaps.com or you can engage us on the Twitter bots. I'm at Round Howard. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. How many Z's? How many R's? It's with the two Z's and one R, just like from before. Uh, we are on Patreon. We've got a Discord there. We've got an incredible, vibrant community of people who are watching Ted Lasso alongside with us. If you would like that to be you, we would love that as well. Patreon.com slash recap. Sign up at that Discord level. We'd love to have you around these parts. Uh, either way, we would love it if you subscribe to the podcast on your podcatcher of, uh, of choice. Uh, leave some ratings, reviews that really helps us as we're hoping to to reach out find more people to join us as we are talking ted lasso all season long it is immensely helpful antonio anything else you've got to throw out there i mean look for for people that you know you do what you want with your money and i you know i subscribe to a couple different podcasts i'm a patron uh and it means a lot to me to support creators like that so that's certainly appreciated i don't want to make it seem like i'm leaning in on that but i will just say this is the first time that I've podcasted about a show live where there is sort of a Discord or, or some kind of live forum like that. 
I was just so excited to see that channel lit up in the bold letters uh, on my Discord app, knowing that there were new posts there, people talking about the podcast, people talking about the episode. It just felt very, really cool to be part of uh, that communication or that dialogue that was happening. Uh, and that was so nice. So I'm so thankful to the people who are patrons and who are participating with this show in that way. But I'm so thankful to anyone who is listening. Uh, it's just so nice to talk about a show that I really like, about a subject I really like, uh, and get back to podcasting in a way uh, like this, uh, in a different way. Same but different. It's a metaphor, Josh. I've heard that. Uh, maybe there'll be a callback to that later this season. All right. We'll be back next week talking more Ted Lasso. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.